Welcome back in everyone to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. I'm very excited to be bringing you the show we're talking about today. Very excited. And to talk about it today, we have the creator, Dan Furman, to talk to us about his show, The Joe Hill Revival. It's opening on September 30th and playing on Saturdays as a matinee at the Brooklyn Art House. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting bkarthouse.com. And of course, that's Art House, H-A-U-S. And you definitely should go ahead and get your tickets now because this is a fantastic show. The subject and the story is incredible. And we are so excited about that. So let's just dive right in. Go ahead and welcome on our guest so he can tell us more about it. Dan, Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andy. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited about the show you have here, the Joe Hill Revival. Could we start by having you tell us a little bit about what this show is about? Yes. So, of course, it's about Joe Hill. Basically, uh, we've this is uh, my company is called Brooklyn Tavern Theater, and we started doing shows that I that I've written in bars in Brooklyn because it's hard to get your shows done if you're a writer and you you know don't come already equipped with somebody in the business so it's no matter where it is it's good to see your own work and share it with other people too if you're an artist you want to share <clears throat> so anyway we started we we had been working on a show called impossible but true Look, well, I'm going to go ahead and finish this thought. Okay. We had been working on a show called Impossible But True and, and decided to try it out in the bar and it worked. We didn't have a lot of uh, rehearsal space expenses, a lot of other things. So we went from there and started doing shows in bars. So uh, that's how we started this one, whether it's a bar or it's Brooklyn Art House, which is kind of a combination of theater and bar. Joe Hill walks into the room and updates his legacy. Now, if you don't know who Joe Hill was, it's probably not that strange a thing uh, because he lived back in the first years of the 1900s and was executed by the state of Utah in 1915. Joe was a member of this group called the Industrial Workers of the World. And they were a new radical union, which is some people might say we could use that today, <laughs> or at least a little more radical thinking in the unions that we do have. So the Industrial Workers of the World, they wanted everybody to join one big union. And that makes a lot more sense if you realize that every little trade back then, you know, crafts, the people who made shoes or, or, or you know, different parts of machines or et cetera, they all had their own separate little union. And not only that, but those, those separate little unions were also organized often along immigrant lines. If there was people from Finland, they had their own group. If there were people from Ireland, et cetera. So workers were divided in that sense. When we tried to stand up to the bosses, they just went to another group and offered to pay them to come in, you know, et cetera. And that's divided in the in just the sense of people working in their workplaces with the people that, you know, in those communities. But then there was also the divisions of black and white, where black workers didn't have any of the rights that workers that white workers had. And that was used against unionists too. And also between women and men. Women were paid less, of course, and still are. All these divisions in the workforce are what make it easier for the employers to exploit us. And so one of the things that, that you that's worth remembering when you look at this show is that back then things were so different 
And what the industrial workers of the world were saying was so radical that not a lot, not a lot of people, a lot of people didn't want to accept it. So, so that's a little bit of the framework. Joe Hill was a songwriter and he immigrated from Sweden. He was kind of traveled around the United States a bit and ended up in California and out West. And he became a member of this union, the industrial workers of the world and became, he became kind of an activist, but he also was a musician. So he started writing songs. And this is the really cool part about it. They didn't have radio really, you know, it had been invented, but it wasn't a widespread thing. They didn't have TV. They didn't have cell phones. Of course, they didn't have any, you know, you could use telegraphs to get information quickly, but basically when somebody went on strike, you found out about it because you got hold of a paper or because somebody arrived from that region of the country and told you about it and workers needed to find out and to slitterize with each other. And so Joe's songs were really important. A strike would break out. He would write a song about it and they would sing it on the picket line. And then this would get around to, to other places and they would sing it in support and they would, it would help people get together. And, and a lot of the information was also, you know, kind of inspirational union songs that people could share. And these, these songs got taken around the country through word of mouth, through people traveling on the rails. In that sense, it was a whole different time. Now, one thing about our show is that it's the Joe Hill revival. So we're trying to bring Joe Hill back into the present day. So we're taking a lot of those songs and we're updating them either with like music from our time, got a little bit of bluegrass in there. We've got a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of a bunch of influences in, in the, in the music that we put together. Often Joe would take the words that is, I mean, sorry, he would take the music from popular songs and he would write his own words to that music. So that if you brought the song to the picket line, people already knew the tune. They just put in the union words and use the song for their own purposes. Very cool. I love that. So this is a phenomenal historical figure. I love this. How did you come upon Joe Hill and, and come up with the idea to create this show? Well, I've, I've written a number of political things. That's kind of how I tend to think. I was a political activist for years before I went back to music. I was, you know, in the Socialist Workers Party. I went to, I was in a lot of union workplaces and we would, I would go in and try to talk to people about, you know, what's happening in the world as well as what's happening on the job because workers of the world need to get together and unite. So, so I worked in, let's see, I worked in a factory that made mattresses in Maryland. I made, I worked in uh, a sausage factory. I did some time in a plastics factory in Alabaster, Alabama. My favorite job was working at uh, Trinity Industries down in Bessemer, Alabama, where we made rail cars. And I even spent some time at Tuscan Dairy up here in, in New Jersey too. I got into it through, through that. And I was looking around for something to write a show about. And my, my wife, Kim, uh, said, why don't you write something about Joe Hill? I can't remember why we were talking about it, but, but I, I said, well, maybe. And I looked into it and there's something really interesting about Joe Hill that it, it first put me off. And then I realized, oh, this is really good material. You have to kind of hear the story because so Joe, Joe ended up in Utah looking for work with one of his buddies from the industrial workers of the world. And they began, they settled into Salt Lake city area. And, and then kind of by chance, I think, at least at first, there was a, a murder in Salt Lake city, the same night that Joe, Joe Hill was shot by his friend in an argument over his girlfriend or one of the, who are, 
there was a little bit of a love triangle going on. So they had a dispute. Joe got shot. His friend took him to the doctor afterwards. And that same same week, the governor announced that they were looking for two men who had gone into a, a, the store of John Morrison and shot them. Didn't take, didn't steal anything. It seemed to be a revenge killing, but they were looking for somebody. And then when they when Joe Hill got picked up, they were like, oh, we've got a unionist from the industrial workers of the world who's known around the country for writing union songs. And that was that's how it started. He was he, he the trial was kind of a joke. We cover a little bit about that in the show. And then Joe, in the meantime, the industrial workers of the world, the IWW, which were also called the Wobblies, they carried out a defense campaign. And that's one of the, the great things about this, you know, hooking up with today, because it reminded me of what happened with George Floyd. People all around the world were horrified or, or were inspired to stand up against something they just did not want to see happen. And the, the, the movement to f free Joe Hill had an element of that too. People all around from people going on strike, sit down, you know, on a refusing to work, refusing to load American goods, I think in Australia, they managed to get the president of the union, the AFL, Samuel Gompers, Woodrow Wilson, the president of the United States. There was a whole range of people that, and protests happened all around the world trying to free Joe Hill, just like what we saw more recently. So that's, well, that's, that's what happened. Wow. That's incredible. What a story. And that's interesting because I, I want to find, ask now, you know, what has it been like developing this, the show, the Joe Hill revival? Cause you mentioned you you're taking some of his songs and you're modernizing them, if you will, you're putting them into some of the more modern sounds. What has that been like? Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Joe Hill was a good lyricist. I mean, I'm speaking as a musical theater writer. He he actually he he kept scansion in his lines, so you know they matched the songs he was writing them for. Or sometimes he wrote his own music too. I'm not saying he never did. And they're very topical and clever. Often a lot of a lot of stuff is funny. I mean, the one song that a lot of people have heard a song called Joe Hill or I Dreamed I Saw Joe Hill Last Night which that's like a old kind of lefty folk ballad type thing. That was not written by Joe Hill because he was, he's dead in the song, <laughs> but uh, it was sung by Joan Baez. It was sung by Bruce Springsteen, Paul Robeson, the classical African-American singer used it a lot. So that's how, how some people have per, are, perhaps heard his name. There's also another phrase called that he wrote to a song that was a church song. The hymn is called in the sweet by and by. And Joe's version of the song is called Long-Haired Preachers. So in, in, the, in, the, in the church hymn, it says, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Joe Hill wrote, you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. Work and pray, live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. Hmm. So the pie in the sky when you die phrase is something that people have heard or it's been used since then. And it's a lot of his stuff is like that clever, making fun of what, you know, putting things in terms of, well, uh, he did make fun of, of the, the more conservative and relig religious establishment. That's one of the things that the Wobblies did. Long haired preachers come out every night, try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. But when asked about something to eat, they will answer in voices so sweet. You will eat by and by in that glorious land in the sky. So wait till you're dead and then you can get fed. 
I love it. It's and, and it's so simple and it's so memorable, you know. So anyone can immediately hook on to that. It's like a great ad campaign or you know, great catchphrase. It just oh, really have ad campaigns, so this is it, you know. This is for from the union point of view. Yeah. This is a good time for it. We've you know, we've been working on the show for a few years, and uh, all of a sudden everybody's talking about unions. So that's that's kind of a cool thing, you know, rather the now the UAW is on strike and the writers are on strike. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff over the last few years, small things, but it's getting bigger. And mm -hmm. it's almost like we come out of this global shutdown and the workers realize their worth and everything now. And it's like, wait a minute, how come the top makes more money? And I haven't made more money out of this. Wait a minute. You need me to get by. I see my self-worth. I want more. And I can, and just the few lyrics that you shared, I can hear how they resonate even today, over a hundred years later. And it's like, I should be getting more of that. Where's my pie in the sky, you know, and all of that. I would be interested to know if there's any, any union people out there that we would start hearing more of Joe Hill's, you know, songs or quotes that start to come out. But with this show and with it opening soon, I'm very curious. I mean, this is a very political charge show with a great story. Is there a message or a thought you're hoping the audiences will walk away? Yes, uh, there's there's a bunch of messages. One of the things that they, they say in the final song is, and maybe a few times throughout the play, is we hold history in our hands. When we come together, we can actually, we can affect, we can make history. And that is what we need to do. You know, if you look at the world around us, things, how things are falling apart in terms of not, not just the environment, but all, I mean, the, basically the, the way that standards of living, the people, nations going to war and stuff, what we need to do is be strong enough to influence history, hmm. not be the victims of it, be the writers of it. And that's what, that's what we're saying is, you know, climb, no, don't just climb aboard the train, drive the train. Right. We need to write history through our actions. And, and in order to do that, we're going to have to figure out how to come together because it's, it's up to us. I like that. I really like that message. And I love that that's in that final song as well. I love that line. So rounding out this first part of the interview, I want to know, who do you hope have access to the Joe Hill revival? I think we're trying to reach everybody with this. I think very important, though, not just the Broadway audience. You know, it's I've you can go into the demographics of what what the Broadway audience is, but well, first of all, with things like this, it's really important to reach young people because young people are the ones who change the world, who set things in motion, and it's also important for us to be able to reach working people, which is still the in my view, the vast majority of the country are, are working class. So that we call ourselves, sometimes we say we're middle-class, we're this, we're that, we're, you know, but basically if you work for a living, if you get paid on, on some sort of hourly rate, or if, even if you don't, but you're fighting, you know, like teachers used to be considered middle-class. I think teachers are definitely working class, right? I mean, there's, there's the traditional industries that make up working classes, but all of us who are working at Amazon, who are working at, who are out there delivering food, I, 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 there's a whole range of people who, who are, haven't been included in the traditional idea of working class, but we are basically office workers, cleaners, this, you know, so I'm guess I'm saying working people all around 
the country, part of who, who we want to see the show because that's who we're talking to. for our second part of the interview and i want to give our listeners a chance to kind of get to know you a little bit better i want to start by asking you what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites mm, okay favorites you know i don't know i i'll tell you my favorites i don't know how much it's going to mean but uh in music theater one of my favorites is stephen sondheim just because of the level of his work and and also the the breadth of the topics that he got into in his shows this is just not you know in his lyrics and in in the book writers that he worked with like into the woods and sunny in the park with george these really huge questions those really attract me and so i tend to write shows about big subjects too but i also love karen ebb and Jerry Herman and a bunch of music theater writers and, you know, contemporary ones like Lacusa and Adam Gettle are fantastic. I say musical influences. Thelonious Monk is a big one. I play jazz. Uh, I came to New York as a jazz musician and then found some work working, helping out a composer on their show. And then I kind of got into music theater, joined the BMI workshop, which is a fantastic training ground for a few years to catch me up with on, you know, kind of the whole concepts and everything, how music theater works. So yeah, other favorites, Bernstein too. Classical music, I love Brahms, Beethoven. <laughs> Traditional, you know, some, some of the, the, I'm more of, I think, uh, well, let's see. Hank Williams, Aretha Franklin, Bob Marley, Reuben Blades, that's a few. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful list though, I love that. I want to now ask my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, you know, the first show I wrote was called Impossible But True, and we still do it. It's a, it's a show about the American Revolution told through the eyes and the community of Rip Van Winkle. Because uh, the interesting thing about that is he, Rip Van Winkle, went off to sleep around 1775, right before the American Revolution, and he woke up. 20 years later after it was over. So in my show, he went off to war and he fought in the army and he got post-traumatic stress and wasn't able to come back to his town for 20 years. And then when he come back, comes back, everything is different. And the, the town became, you know, became revolutionary, whereas he before he was the only one who was interested in it. And so there's a whole thing about how, about how sometimes things you never dreamed of can happen and things that were impossible suddenly become possible. And that's kind of the theme of that one. So I struggled with that show for, for years. I started writing it at BMI and eventually at BMI, they told me, well, you should give up this show. <laughs> Stop writing it, go do something else, come up with something else. And I did, and I, so I, I, I didn't continue there after that. And I kept working on the show. And when you, like, I was a, a composer and I was working with the lyricist. She's a great lyricist, Mary Liz McNamara, but she had to move on to other projects too. So I started writing my own lyrics and then I, and then I didn't have a book writer. So I started writing my own book. And the first time, the hardest thing is the book. So 
my first time trying to write a book was a disaster. And uh, I just kept improving it. And the, the question of the show, or the, the show ends with a, a song called Things Are Possible. And, and the question of, was kind of like, well, is this musical possible at all? And uh, I was going through some hard times at the time, I think. And we finally managed to put together a, a reading of it. And we were helped by this organization called True up in the Upper West Side. And they, they helped fund this, this first reading. And there were all kinds of problems. And, but I do remember that opening night, the, it, wasn't op it was the only night <laughs> that we did it. And at the end of it, people seemed to like it. Rather that, I mean, people were clapping and the lead guy got up and he was all teary-eyed. And, and it, was, it was a great moment to see that actually, that something that I had written actually had worked for some people. And that meant a lot. So that, that one comes to mind because it was a hard road getting there, I'd say. I mean, there's so many fabulous shows that I've seen that, that move me that it's hard to really pull one out of the picture right now. Still, that's a wonderful memory. Wow. I, and I would love to see this show. It sounds amazing. But thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. If our listeners would like more information about the Joe Hill Revival or about you, perhaps he'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? Well, the easiest thing right now would be to go to the Joe Hill Revival website. And it's very easy to do because it's joehillrevival.com. You don't need the the, just joehillrevival.com. And there's a way to reach out, to reach me on there. There's a way to listen to some of the music. You can read more about the story. You can learn about the actors. We have a fabulous cast this time. I'm really looking forward to our opening night to see what happens. Wonderful. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by today and share this fantastic show. I'm very excited about it. I am looking forward to seeing this. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Andy, for having us, inviting me on. My guest today has been the creator, Dan Furman, whose new show, The Joe Hill Revival, is opening on September 30th and then playing on Saturdays in October for the matinee performance at the Brooklyn Art House. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting bkarthouse.com, and that's house, H-A-U-S. You can also find more information and contact Dan by visiting joehillrevival.com. We'll have all of this information posted on our social media as well as on our episode description. But make sure you check out this really great show. It's a fascinating story and a lot of really great music. It's the Joe Hill Revival opening on September 30th and playing every Saturday in October for the matinee performance at the Brooklyn Art House. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Foreign land, one.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.